Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It's November 27th, 2023, the 14th day of Kislev, 5784. Is if you look at the sky, you'll see a full moon. That's how you know by the Jewish months. Middle of the month is the full moon, and then it starts to wane again. I'm sitting here in the Judean hills, and as usual, there's a lot going on. And I decided to take a little bit of a different tack on this week's podcast. So I'm going to introduce you to one of my absolutely favorite people in the world, my daughter, Marnina Harrow, who... Uh, unobjectively, meaning subjectively, I have a whole lot of things to say about her, but object- objectively, as you'll find out for yourselves, she is filling in an incredibly important role in what is happening here in Israel today. She lives in Tel Aviv. And since I am like really not good at all in the world that she's in, uh, living in right now, the world of Twitter and of social media and of helping Israel online, I asked her to please come because I figured... If I don't know this stuff very well, then chances are some of you out there don't either and can hear about what's happening from someone who's actually living in Tel Aviv and is fighting the fight for Israel on an incredibly important front. Renina, thank you so much for joining me here today on Rejuvenation. So um, maybe give, I mean, I know your background very well, but maybe in your own words, tell everybody like, you know, how you got to what you're doing today. Uh, yeah, so um, I, well, we were living here, uh, as we made Aliyah um, as a family, and um, I had actually, I had a very difficult experience. I wasn't as much, I grew up, um, dur- during the second intifada as I was a teenager was incredibly difficult. Uh, at the time, I was going to high school in Jerusalem, and it was, it was a very scary time, to say the least. Yes. Uh, there were there were bombs going off. There was one bomb once in the Shuk, which was right near my high school, and my whole high school filled with smoke. Uh, it was incredibly. It was a very paranoid time and very stressful. And for me at the time, I just wanted to live a normal life um, and feel stability. So I ended up leaving Israel, um, and. I ended up in New York where I went to college. I studied uh, fashion design and marketing. And uh, through different circumstances, I ended up back here in in 2012. Um, But I moved to Tel Aviv and I found that it really resonated with me as a city. Um, I I discovered I really liked who I was here and it was much more aligned with how I view life and, and diversity and I was to aspects of Israel that I hadn't beforehand. So in addition to the fashion design, you've studied quite a few other things. And because I think all of this, you know, has given you a wide range of knowledge. And you and I can attest you've been a voracious reader, I think, since you were four and everything, when there were still just books before you could go online and read things. And then you segue into that. So maybe, you know, fill in a little bit of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so First of all, I still like books. There's nothing more <laughs> like that, actually holding it. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I studied, well, I studied fashion design. At the time, my dream was to be a, a costume designer on Broadway. And after moving here and discovering that there was no Broadway in Israel, I kind of had to switch gears a little bit. Um, and being that it's a uh, it's startup nation and there's such a, such a booming high-tech industry here, 
it seemed like the smartest thing to do was to um, go and and uh, brush up my knowledge when it came to technology. So I spent a year in a course here, and then I, I very quickly started uh, working in the online world, um, creating more content, website content, and social media. Um, and uh, yeah, so that it, I, I moved more into the world of branding and online digital identity, as and just completely away from uh, from the design aspect. Although it does take a lot of creativity uh, to have an online presence. I myself, unless I'm not, I, I never aspired to be a social media personality. Uh, I prefer to be behind the camera. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so that's the world that I've been in ever since doing copywriting, digital marketing, um, uh, anything, anything along those lines, really. All right. So um, not to share too much, but the beginning of this war by happenstance, although I don't know what you know, I think there's always somebody behind what we call coincidences, caught you at a time of your life where you were looking for a new job, you know, you were finished with what you were doing, um, you ended a relationship, and suddenly you had some time to really think about things that are going on here. A lot of us have been in that space, but you perhaps uh, had more independence than, you know, some other people in order to really um, search for a lot of things, and I and I have to say to my listeners that as her mom, I'm always fascinated by the depth of Marnina's intellectual curiosity. And she, if you think that I go out of my comfort zone, she takes me way out. And so, a little Kabbalah, a little Twitter, like what's going on with you right now, and how ultimately is Israel and all of us who are listening, who care so much about Israel, benefiting um, for what you're doing? Yeah. Um, okay. So on a personal level, I very much like to do my own research. I discovered years ago that most of the information that we're given through mainstream channels has already been pretty corrupted. Uh, we're misinformed, and uh, there is a, a form of, of um, bias and propaganda that any news channel will put on any piece of information. They They'll give it to you with with their opinion and with a certain filter and I realized that long ago um, and uh, so I started do, I, I just naturally I like to research things regardless I also found that it's very true that the truth is usually somewhere in the middle but I think it's very healthy to constantly be challenging your own thoughts and opinions and not become too too rigid about them and one of the beauty one of the most beautiful aspects I think of Tel Aviv is that it is such an international city. So it really was, uh, it gave me opportunities for the first time to get to know people, uh, Jewish people who were left wing, uh, like radical left wing. I consider myself more moderate, perhaps landing a little bit to the right. But even though I could not, um, I did not agree with what they were saying, it gave me an opportunity to listen to them. I met Arabs as well and several Christians and there's, there's a constant flow of different forms of tourists that come here for so many different reasons and it's been absolutely fascinating. I learned a lot about Christianity as well and that tie and how much we have in common as far as the Judeo-Christian values and um, especially with my left-wing friends. So even previous to, to October 7th, what had actually been when simmering in Tel Aviv was 
horrible. It was it was uh, it was a war internally um, because politically there was so much debate at the time and discussion about this judicial reform, mm-hmm. and the media here like any other media just wants to get clicks and they always pour gasoline on the fire and inflame emotions and tensions were so high. And there was a point where there were protests and demonstrations every single day and people were so angry and it evolved afterwards uh, onto the religious fronts because um, people felt that some of their religious freedoms would be taken away or there would have they would have uh, religious law further imposed on them and against their lifestyle. And there was just this such a sad tension, but it was so thick in the air, you know, brother versus brother, and it seemed impossible. Um, and we had army reservists saying that they would no longer serve in the military. It was really taken to a point of, of, of almost brotherly hatred of the, almost this internal civil war. And, uh, you know, I see it sometimes in the states when the the right and the left have also been radicalized and hit against each other. And this is all media. Media does not have good intention. And and people, you know, government people, people, they also don't have good intentions. They all benefit when we're at each other's throats and they can create tribalism amongst us. So that feeling in Tel Aviv was so thick and it's really sad. You see people um, uh, who let their ideology get in the way of, of relationships and their families even being internally torn apart. And then October 7th happened and it was like, like on a dime, everything overnight, the entire vibe changed from this, uh, from just all this internal friction to suddenly we were one united force that was completely caught off guard and traumatized and very quickly shifted from this shock and mourning into action, which makes Israel amazing and so unique. Um, And so it it just, it changed overnight. Now, for me personally, as you mentioned, I was in a, um, at a crossroads, I'd been working at a company for six years and it no longer suited me. The dynamic had changed, especially throughout COVID. And it, I I, need, I wanted to move on. That was digital marketing, um, and yeah, I'd been in a serious relationship, which uh, which ended. It ended on great terms, but it also ended. So there was a lot in my life. Um, I just come back from a trip overseas to Costa Rica, and I was really I came back, and my mentality at the time was, you know, big life changes, and um, and this kind of uh, threw everything off because um, things shut down and the whole vibe changed. And um, the, the war effect on a, when you're actually living through it, it affects you on a day-to-day basis. So whether it's people who are afraid to stray too far from home because there are uh, air sirens every once in a while and you have to be in a safe space. And I have it pretty easy because I live alone but I'm in a building and I see people rushing out with their children who are half dressed or sleeping sometimes with the sirens off in the middle of the night. And then you just sit and wait for a number of seconds and you hear these massive explosions overhead. We just call them booms. And you just sit there 
kind of terrified for a matter of, of, of minutes sometimes, but it, it feels longer. And you, you, everyone's texting, everyone that they care about to make sure that people are safe. And um, that experience is constantly hovering over you. And by a miracle, we have the Iron Dome. So we, there, it, that relieves most of the pressure. But once in a while, rockets do fall through. And it's, but it does, it's always in the back of your mind. And it does cause a form of PTSD. I mean, this trauma is constantly in the back of your mind. Right. Um, you hear a motorcycle backfire. I, there's construction going on next to me. Sometimes some of the machinery, when it first uh, it's it first ignited, sounds kind of like the the beginnings of an uh, air siren. So it, you're you're in a state of of uh, survival, and it, it always, um, which is not healthy either. No. Um, and people, you know, they're there are no still now there are no there's no happy music being played on the radio um everyone's obsessed you talk to people and it comes in even my my woman the macaulay or anyone you interact with the war comes in somehow right. because everyone's so conflicted and they want to think about it but they don't want to think about it we have pictures of the hostages all over the city everywhere right. you look there's monuments that have been put up, whether it's teddy bears or art installations. So it, it really has uh, has taken over. Wherever you go, there's people not just with personal handguns, but a lot of people with M16s walking around because they got out for 48 hours, but they're still responsible for their gun. It's just, and, and people have a sad look in their eye. There's just... You know, people, you ask someone, how are you? It's like, I'm as well as what's going on today. And just want to mention that we're in the middle of the week where the hostages are being released and uh, everybody anxious that that should happen. But there's kind of this weird ceasefire in the war. But we do want to finish off with Hamas, but the world is starting to pressure us. And, you know, we're looking at these wonderful pictures of the families being reunited, reunited, but there's still 170 hostages in Gaza that the fear is that we'll never see some of them again, that some of them aren't alive anymore. So yeah, we're living in this constant state of uncertainty. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's an extraordinary battle being, being fought. Yeah. And it's, I mean, look, you know, it's, it's things like uh, every time you lose a soldier, I mean, I personally, every soldier, I look at their face, I say a blessing for them. People have an image sometimes that our army, because it's so precise and effective, it's this big, bad military. But most of these soldiers that we're losing are boys in, in the prime of their life. They're right. 21 or 22. They're children, right? You know, they should be in college. And it's so sad and it's so tragic. But you can't let yourself get swept up into the into the tragedy of it too much at the same time. It's a very strange feeling to be in. The country is also at kind of a half standstill because half of our male workforce is in uniform and being called up. Or, so, and it's expensive also. This right. war is costing us about a million shekel a day. Just to be practical too, people don't realize that we do not want to be in this situation. And on the information front, and we can get into that. Yes. It, I find myself so conflicted because it's, it's this state of needing to um, explain and legitimize us doing something that we don't actually want to be doing in the first place. We don't actually want to be fighting in this war. We're not, 
a society. It's not part of our culture or religion. We don't have any holy wars. There's no, we don't have any instruction to go and conquer other nations. If anything, it's the opposite. Anyone looking to convert to Judaism, it's pretty tedious and, and difficult to, to, to go through the process. So it's such a difference culturally and it really is defense. I mean, you know, there, it's a, there's a reason they're called the Israeli Defense Force. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we're doing. There's no form of attack. There's, we're not benefiting anything. It's not like we're conquering land. It's not like no. Gaza has any resources that are benefiting us. This is a total loss for us. And it's only because we are not safe. And October 7th was this, in it, this just a display of such maniacal evil butchery that i have never seen before and that was the shock and it's why the the environment flipped on a dime because suddenly we realized this was hatred of us as a people and we are all that people so all this internal dispute just evaporated pretty much overnight unfortunately mm-hmm. so where do you find yourself now you're not in uniform, but you're fighting the fight. I'm not in uniform. I did not go to the military. I'm not that type of girl, although I really admire um, all these women. I think that that's uh, one of the most impressive things is uh, has been reading about them. For all that, uh, you know, Western <laughs> feminists like to talk about equ- gender equality. Right. They like to complain. These women have actually shown that the, it, it's beautiful. It's it's. It's uh, enhancing what our differences. Yes, they're mm-hmm. still in uniform, and there's a lot of danger, and there are strategic and psychological reasons why most women usually don't engage in combat. You know, it's a male instinct to protect women. Women are also more valuable to society. Um, but uh, to watch what they're able to do because of their own the own the ways that our minds are wired. Um, it has been really, really remarkable. And it also just goes to show how precise the IDF is as far as utilizing, uh, you know, the genders in, in different ways based on their own capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a so, story came out yesterday about yeah, an all-female tank crew that killed 50 terrorists on October right. 7th and saved one of the kibbutzim. And I look at them and they're all these like little girls. How the they're heck did they pick up this ammunition? Oh my God. First of all, they're, they're tough oh. as nails. I, and I shared that story on my uh, on my Twitter page. You can, uh, if anyone wants to. Right. Well, uh, that's where I want to go with you on this, is where, what you're doing on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So first of all, my Twitter is, uh, my handle is at uh, Marnie underscore Harrow. Pretty simple. Um, and one R guys, as you should one know. R. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I share that on my Twitter. Um, it's interesting. Well, it's now known known as X, and it's interesting because actually Elon Musk, I think, arrived in Israel. He's here today. Yeah. 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 Um, he people might not be aware, but he he really hit the fact that he purchased the platform. Um, I think is really affecting the way that we're able to distribute our information today, specifically for us in this uh, in this war, um, because Twitter had been a very like left-leaning, what they call like woke liberalism leaning, and uh, was very, people a little bit more moderate in the center were being heavily regulated 
Um, and uh, when Elon bought it, he pretty much opened it up. He very much believes in, in free speech. And um, he, he, he opened it up. He brought a lot of people who had been banned back on the platform. So there's a much more honest dialogue uh, going on now. Now, I had never been very much into Twitter, social media in general. I think also because professionally, I would engage with it so much. I, I didn't want it consuming my own world. And as I said, I wasn't interested in being some form of uh, uh, social media personality. But as the war especially was, well, so a, a couple of months already, I started going on Twitter just because I felt that, um, it, as I said, I like hearing different perspectives when it comes to the news. And um, on Twitter, you do have personalities who will often insert their opinion about certain stories so you get to see different perspectives. So there was this new feature that, that Elon had created called Twitter Spaces. And what it basically is, is um, a form of, a, of a, a, an audio only um, Zoom, in a sense, I would say. You, you need to have a Twitter um, uh, account in order to log into a space and it'll show you spaces. So what happens is- How do you get to the place? Sorry for the really dumb questions, but you know, how do you even get to where you can get into a space? There's a page that pops up somewhere that says, do you want to enter different spaces? How do you get into these chat rooms? On your phone, there is a feature. Um, I can actually show you. But on your phone, there's a feature where you have your- Twitter account. Yeah. So you have your main feed. And then if you swipe to the left there, you, you basically have the menu where it shows you uh, your profile and your bookmarks and your list. And then there's spaces. So if you click on spaces, it'll show you anything available. Okay. So for people who are just listening to this, you would open a Twitter account. You would open a Twitter account. And okay. then in the main menu, it would show you spaces. Now, okay. Twitter, like all social media, um, is run in accordance with an algorithm. So it will um, it, it will fit itself to you based on the people that you're you're. If you're following someone and they're in a space, it will automatically recommend it to you. Ah, Otherwise, okay. it'll go in accordance with your interests. So once I started, it saw that a lot of my um, interests were Israel and Gaza and whatnot. Even though I tuned into some other Twitter spaces, uh, even just from just a, a curious to see how the technology, when it was first rolling out, uh, for example, I listened to, to when Governor uh, Ron DeSantis announced his uh, his formal entry into pre pre the presidential race. I listened to it. He did it on a Twitter space, so I listened to it because I wanted to see how what impact it would have, how well it would do. Um, Personally, I actually think he's better on camera than he, than 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 on a space. Uh, you know, is they there say a limit to how many people can be in a space at once? I don't think so. The technology is still a little bit glitchy. So what will happen sometimes is that you might hear, stop hearing people, so then you have to leave the room and just go right back in. Mm -hmm. They're working on it, um, but it's very interesting. So what happens is you'll see everyone listed. And there's always going to be a host. You could create your own. You could hold host your own space and invite your friends to it. So about anything, if you have a book club, you could create a Twitter space discussing that book with your four closest friends. That's fine. You have a host and you have a co-host just in case the host loses connection or whatnot. What happens when you're the host and the co-host is that then you have the ability to 
first of all, kick people out of the room. So if someone's a troll or they're being incredibly disruptive, you don't want them in there anymore, you can mute them, you can kick them out. Uh, you can also invite people up to speak. So basically, everyone is is muted in a sense. You got you have a little microphone button, and that if you click it, it'll say you can request to speak. So then the host and the host are notified that you're interested in speaking, and they can allow you. And then what it would do is unmute your microphone, and you can speak. So in that sense, it's like a Zoom call, just without the video, the the visuals. Okay. Exactly. So depending on the environment and what the space is utilized for, sometimes there's a friendly chat. So what I found uh, during the whole during the whole war, when the, the war was was first launched, is that um, I, I there was this feeling of overwhelm, especially as all these uh, uh, demonstrations and protests were breaking out all over the world, and you felt like everything was anti-Semitic, and also. The, the war itself that morning, there was so much confusion to what was going on. Right. I, I was woken up that morning because there, there were sirens, that were, because they were shooting rockets, and they were shooting that technically as a diversion because they wanted, and they all want, wanted. As they infiltrated from Gaza. Right, right. Inside, I mean, it was very clever in that sense. It's basically, you know, making rats go into their trap, and then you can very easily find them, right? So. Um, that was horrible, but we started getting information as it was unfolding. At first, there were rumors. Uh, people started texting on Telegram channels. Something's going on. There's an arua, which means an event. Um, so we thought, you know, I don't know, someone had been attacked or whatever. No one in their wildest dreams expected it to be at such scale and just so horrific. Mm-hmm. So horrific. For me personally, the the music festival, like as a teenager, I had spent, I'd gone to parties like that, um, you know, to, to the point where there, there were videos that were taken by some of the party goers as they were hiding um, in the outskirts of the field. And I know the smell of the pie needles. And, I, you know, if hmm. you're, I, I just, I know that, that like I could. Wow live it so vividly it was it was traumatic it was absolutely traumatic watching that happen to people and it was story after story you can't even keep track because this is over a thousand people and children and then the hostages and it was incredibly overwhelming um and then to see all this you know so we had we had public opinion we had approval to go and destroy hamas the world was on our side for about 30 seconds, and we knew that. Um, I think Netanyahu was very clever to precisely state that the goal was to eradicate Hamas right off the bat, that people knew that, so that because that was their goal. And we knew that we, public opinion was going to wane and disapproval, and we knew that. We, we've been down this road beforehand. We know that there are unfortunately a lot of people who are who are anti-Israel, but there are also just a lot of anti-Semites out in the world, and they're not even ashamed to show it. Um, and also, unfortunately, where we've been failing as a country for years is on the PR front. Um, and I think that part of it was wishful thinking. Uh, the same reason we didn't really handle Hamas for the past 15 years or so and let them grow is because we don't want to engage in that. That's not what we want to be busying ourselves with. We're mm-hmm. a high tech nation. We want to be inventing things. We're the people of the book. 
We're literally a country of nerds. The fact that one of the things <laughs> we are, the fact that one of the things that we're most well known for is the Iron Dome is a shame. You know, right. is it, that it's a piece of military equipment is a shame because we we get we've, we've got music, so we've got literature. Beyond that, the, the, the medical technology, literally. There are irrigation systems that they've created right. because they had to make the desert bloom here. Yeah, we're they're, awesome. They're, yeah, they're we're used awesome. all over the world. They're used all over. The, there are places all over the world where it's difficult to, to plant uh, or make things grow, and they'll bring in a whole team. There's specialized teams of Israelis that are trained to go and assess the 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 dirt and the different conditions, um, and put and install a custom-made uh, irrigation. Right. And, I mean, it's incredible. And then when it comes to computer science and cybersecurity, I mean, you name it, there, there's Israeli innovation there. And it, it's so it's so tragic how backwards we're, we're viewed. The, the, the Israelis have this desire to make the world a better place and not from this high-minded, in a practical sense, the things that they invent, the things that they create, um, the innovation, the desire to work with other nations, even our neighbors here that don't like us very much, um, because there are a lot of things that we have in common, like the climate, uh, like you know, this, like, like the agriculture. It, it's the same temperature, and when there are inventions that are created, we kind of we want to share with the people that it's relevant to. And unfortunately, uh, the world sees us as this big bad mili military power which is ridiculous. These, these are people who ignore other murders going on. I mean, just, just a few weeks ago in Darfur, there was a massive uh, massacre of their own people. People don't pay attention to that right. at all. It's always, they're always the focus is here yeah. on us and they smear us. So I, for all that I was raised Jewish and for all that I was, when I was living in New York, I was exposed to anti-Semitism, but it was on a kind of a low level, a hearing hearing slurs, hearing, you know, but I, but because I live online, I've also been exposed to um, the, you know, there's there's a form of a Muslim anti-Semitism and, and uh, which is like, which is the radical form, uh, which they rallied around. And then there's this weird, I would say, European extension of blood libels and, right. and that we run the world and we have sharks with space lasers and we control the weather. And we, of course we did 9-11 and right. all that whole strange thing. In both in both cases, it's this perverse othering. Um, it is people who like to believe the uh, conspiracy theories and cultiness, uh, but it, it can be used as something to rally around if you're that type of person that wants to have a common cause. So I've seen it. I've seen it online. I've been exposed to both things, um, but and I want. I just. I personally felt a form of helplessness at the time. Like I want to be fighting this information war. So it was really was through Twitter and through Twitter Spaces that I was actually able to finally engage in something meaningful. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me about some of the really interesting people that show up in some of these spaces, like an American general. Yeah, yeah. So um, these spaces, there are there are four, there are a bunch of different spaces. There are also different reasons for for the spaces. Some of them are purely to inform people who talk about news or uh, misinformation. 
some are a little more entertainment. You have people who are who just host debates. They'll bring on Palestinians or pro-Palestinians. They'll bring on Israelis or Jews and have them hash it out. Uh, and then there's also Jewish discussions and there's even Israeli discussions. So I've been in spaces where it's a bunch of Israelis, some ex-military speaking in Hebrew and just about 20 people, but they were discussing what happened and where our, our, our security failed. And it was fascinating for me because I, I wasn't in the military and don't have very many military friends. So it, it really educated me on the, the, the inner working of the system itself. And then at the end, they opened it up. So I had a few questions and they were really happy to, to inform me and, and give answers. There are some larger spaces that are constantly being run, mostly by um, American friends of ours, not necessarily Jewish either. And there, it, it, uh, it, I would say they're running about 20 hours a day, sometimes 24. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's this constant uh, revolving, you know, guests that will come in and come out. And some of these people are incredibly accomplished and impressive. You have army generals and war analysts and some, you know, big real politicians. I mean, uh, Sebastian Gorka came in a few weeks ago for a few hours. Um, so you know, you'll have, so you have military analysts uh, who will actually sit and break down our operation in Gaza and relate it to other military operations that have gone on. And then you have uh, 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 geopolitician experts. So they'll explain the Middle East at large. Now, for me, this has been fascinating because I, politics used to make me kind of fall asleep, but now I've really been exposed to the dynamics. So now I find myself talking to Iranian women who fled Iran and wow. are so supportive of Israel and they've explained why. And I talk to them and they become real people and I'm starting to understand their personalities. And you hear some incredibly inspiring stories too of Muslims who were raised to hate Jews. And I'm not saying this, like they, they'll talk about it. They'll talk about how they're indoctrinated and it's, it's part of their culture. And for them also to be on spaces and a number of Muslims and Arabs from all different countries have told me sometimes, listen, to be honest, this is my first time ever speaking to a Jewish person, you know, mm -hmm. or this is my first time speaking to someone living in Israel. They have all these ideas, but so I realize there's a sense of responsibility. Now you have plenty of people in spaces who are just fighting the Hasbara war, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the whole history, not in an <laughs> empire, and did we purchase land, did we not purchase land? The Balfour Declaration, and yeah, exactly. Exactly, Where we, or are we a terrorist state, the Lehi, the Haganah? Uh, I mean, not, what happened in 1948? Right. So for me personally, that's, that's less interesting to me. I'll sometimes go into smaller spaces because I can't, I'm also... I'm not in the, the Israeli media or military world. Right. I get my information from them, but I don't have much to contribute. Although once in a while, I because I, I think slightly different, I can come up with a critical thought or a question or just ask a good question that I, I, I would want information on, um, you know, or if something's on my mind. So, um, and sometimes they do appreciate uh, a, a lot of our supporters are all around the world, not necessarily in Israel. It's been a fascinating fusion also watching the dynamic between Israelis and American Jews. It's a different culture. 
Right. So they have the Judaism in common, and sometimes the discussions will, you know, move on to things like, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, your favorite pizza topping, and you get to, or hummus, where's the best hummus in, in Tel Aviv? So right. you have that dynamic as well. And most people in these spaces are passive listeners. You can have up to a thousand people sometimes, and the majority of them really are just passive. I have it sometimes just playing in the background as a radio, just because it's interesting and, and you just get so many perspectives uh, on the news as it's unfolding. As I said, from military, from people on the ground, there's, uh, 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 there's one woman who really has been working with the hostage families this entire time. So she was giving us updates geopolitically, what's going on with these books, these boats that are being uh, hijacked. And people will explain also who are the Houthis, how does Lebanon play a part, who is Hezbollah, what is the plan for the day after. All of these really big questions that people want answered are brought up and discussed and discussed several times from several different perspectives. So um, it, it really is a, just a wealth of, of information. And on a personal level, I've been able to fight the anti-Semitism. So, and people sometimes feel helpless and you don't realize how outnumbered we are just by the sheer amount of numbers, if you think about it. So whether it's reposting stories, whether it's making a comment, whether it's going into a room that's full of anti-Semites and it, even if you're the one person you request to speak and even if they're all yelling at you, if you can make your voice heard or make even just one good point, you never know who's listening right. in, in the audience. So that really makes an impact online. We're fighting an information war online as well. Um, so if you feel helpless, that's an, an excellent uh, platform to use to, to be both be informed and informed. Can people go in anonymously? Like I'm thinking of some of these, you know, the Muslims that you're talking about, if they say, you know, they could get into really big trouble depending on what country they're from, that they're talking to an Israeli woman in Tel Aviv. So they can go on anonymously so they don't have to be afraid that someone's in that room ratting on them and that they're going to get in trouble in Iran or wherever they happen to be sitting. How does yeah, that work? So first of all, you can be totally anonymous. You okay. don't have to put up a profile picture. Some people give themselves, you know, uh, names that are not real names mm -hmm. like uh, above and beyond or cat. 65 you can right. you don't you can be completely anonymous um that's entirely up to you uh there also you can block people i've had people who who follow me i've had men who are just men and then i've also had yeah. people political reasons you can block them if they if they do something especially heinous or are really disgusting in the language that they use you can even report them uh and twitter is very good about following up on reports one amazing feature uh, that they rolled out is something called community notes, okay? So you have some high profile people, for instance, there's this guy named Suleiman, he's a disgusting Arab, Jew hating, slandering, all this Zionist uh, nonsense that you can think of. And um, he, will, he will often, for example, uh, after they found all these, these babies and some of them that had been beheaded, and then there was that one reporter who said, oh, they found bodies of 40 babies, some of which had been beheaded. And somehow that morphed into, we found 40 beheaded babies. And then that was disproved. So then it was like, oh, look, you know, you lose your credibility. You've been lying about everything. I mean, these are the games that people play, the semantic games, you know, and, and it's a constant, it's, it's like constantly being gaslit. 
first there were no tunnels, then there were tunnels, but Israel had built the tunnels. Then there were tunnels, Israel hadn't built the tunnels, but there was nothing actually worthy in the tunnel, you know? And then, oh yeah, there are terrorists there, but but why, but but we actually planted weapons. I mean, the, the, the length, the mental gymnastics that people go in order to try and portray us as the bad guy, no matter what. So Israel's actually been good. We've had, um, uh, you know, some of our commanders, uh, John uh, Conricus, and, and there was another the IDF one. spokespeople. He's yeah, uh, Major uh, Doron. They've had spaces. They will come on at what's Two forty-five in the morning here, in order to align with uh, with the time differences, and they will come on with the IDF accounts. But by the way, the IDF accounts in upon themselves are a very worthy follow. If that's the only reason you follow Twitter, you get on Twitter because they are so transparent with everything they do, everything, every Hamas terrorist they take out, every airstrike they commit. And they're actually kind of funny also, they're, but they show a lot of soldiers on the personal stories. And it's very, very transparent. There's nothing uh, uh, um, like gruesome or harsh about it. It's so humane. It's made me so proud to be on this side when you see the truth and the way they're conducting themselves. But they make themselves available. So they go on these spaces. They'll give an update. They'll give a briefing. They'll talk about even some of these these uh, psychological operations and torture that Hamas is, especially now with the hostages, you know, and also when we're releasing, they're, we're, they're releasing children and babies, us, we're releasing prisoners, people who have actually attempted. Right. Teenage terrorists. Right. Yeah. Teenage terrorists, ones who mm -hmm. haven't been able to finish the job. And we're releasing them and you're seeing how their reception on the street and right away they're calling for, for more Jewish blood. and you know we're shooting ourselves in the foot but it's because we love life so much um and uh and people also need to understand with all this focus on on gaza there's also the west bank uh there have been a non-stop raids there they found weapon caches and yep. arms in schools and mosques it's the same playbook also in the west bank they've arrested up to two thousand um uh hamas operatives that are that are there too. So the ideology, this toxic, poisonous, hate-filled ideology has been there too. Um, and we've seen what they're capable of. So we're fighting this war on a number of different fronts. People need to understand that behind this all, behind all this is the IRGC, it's Iran, right. and they want the destruction of the entire modern world, United States as well. So Israel's fighting this, this, this terrorist, this battle against terrorism, and it is so important to cut down Iran. They can't feel like they're, they've, they've done this in order to destabilize the entire region here because we're, we want to move ahead. We want to grow up. And enough of these stupid wars and, and uh, you start building an economy and a thriving world that's better for everyone and not constantly destroying buildings and destroying civilizations and then having to start again. Yeah. And existing just to kill other people, which is so sad, impossible to understand, but we need to know that there are people who will do that and they are right around the corner. Exactly. And Iran has been fighting this proxy war, using the Palestinians. Palestinians have been hijacked. They're being kept captive. They're being kept in this very strange status of being refugees. 
um, by UNRWA, by the UN. Right. The UN does not want them to become independent because they like keeping them poor and and reliant on them for aid and very easy to radicalize. And anytime they need to stir up trouble in the Middle East, they just radicalize them. Um, and Israel has been, is, I think Israel wants to help the Palestinians more than anyone else. Yeah. Well, getting rid of Hamas would do that. And the big question for Israelis, though, and that's a discussion for another time next time I see you, because um, we always have great discussions, is, you know, are they really Hamas? Like, are there innocent Palestinians who are being controlled by Hamas? Or is a lot of that education kind of filtered down into the kids? You see it on the street. You see it giving out with giving out candies. You know, when there's terrorism, you see it with the joy with which these people from the jails were let out. So it's it's super complicated. I believe that not everybody there is innocent, but not everybody there is guilty either. And it's very, very people difficult. People were aware. To yeah. People were aware of what's going on. People were helping them with the construction sure. of, of tunnels. It came out that one of the Thai workers who was released, yeah, the Russian, excuse me, the Russian Israeli who was released yesterday, his aunt told the news today that uh, he actually escaped for four days from Hamas in Gaza, and and then he was found, and other Gazans gave him back to Hamas. They didn't help him. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, look, yeah. part of me is like they, because people who spoke out and spoke up, and again, thanks to Twitter, I've managed to speak to Palestinians who who escaped Gaza, and right. a lot of them, they feel very conflicted because they they don't let, they under, they can see now from they've been lucky enough if they go to the united states or canada, canada. Mm -hmm. they under now they're in living democratically now they understand what had happened there and how they had been brainwashed and on the one hand part of them still feels for this story of stolen land and we deserve our own state and whatnot on the other hand they realize the direct contradiction that as long as hamas is in power and there's no negotiation that's never going to happen. Hamas doesn't right. actually want, like they're using these people literally as human shields just right. to wage war. And right. there's financial incentive, whether it's Iran or the, the Palestinian Authority also, they have pay, pay to slay. Right. 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 So if you're, if you're young and aimless and you're living in an area and you're a 25-year-old man and you have no future for yourself and someone says, look, I'll pay you $100,000 and give you your family an apartment, I mean, you'll bite. You know, yep. and and it and but they're again, they're, it's coercion, and um, they're all in prison there, and we really do want to emancipate them. But on the other hand, they want to kill us, so it's put us <laughs> in this incredibly conflicted place as well. Yeah, but as a mother and grandmother, my I come out with we need to protect ourselves first. I can feel terrible for them. I can wish their children had a better life, but my kids and my grandchildren and my people come first. So I wish we weren't in this position, as you said at the very beginning, but we are and we have to fight it. So Renine, I'll let you go, but tell me if people listening want to be in touch with you because they want to learn a little more about Twitter, they're not really sure how to get into that space that you're talking about. And what you just described to us really is intriguing and it really is intriguing. And I know that there are people out there who want to help Israel in some way, and this might be a great way to be able to do it or just to learn what's happening, just kind of being a fly on the wall initially before jumping in. So is there an email like what do you prefer an email address or how can they get a hold of you facebook or how i mean you can always write to me by the way everybody i i would actually encourage i would i would encourage you to take this as an opportunity to open a, a twitter account and find free? me it's absolutely free, free. 
Okay. Yeah, if you want a, the little check mark, I think it's about five dollars. Uh, uh, you don't uh, have to. Month. Mm -hmm. You absolutely don't have to. If for security, they want to make sure that you're not a bot and mm -hmm. you're not a fake account. Okay. Again, there's a lot of disinformation, and there are certain steps that Elon has has put in place in order to try and decrease it as much as possible. So yeah, so find me on. You can find me on Twitter again. It's uh, at Marnie underscore Harrow. Okay. Uh, M-A-R-N-I underscore H-A-R-O-W. And you can DM me. You can follow me. The people that I follow uh, will will right off the bat expose you to some of the the best minds and, and ideas and, um, and reporting, real on-the-ground reporting of the situation at the time. I also follow a lot of, as I said, Arabs who are pro-Israel because they bring in a whole new perspective and they also expose you to, to the dialogue and the narratives that are going on in different parts of the world about what's going on here. I think it's incredibly important uh, to constantly break out of your echo chambers and know what's being said and better inform yourself about it as well. Um, and okay. yeah. Well, I think I should send this podcast to Elon Musk. He'd probably offer you a job right away. Now you just, you just make it sound like a very important platform to be on if you want to affect change at all. Too. It's fun yeah. too. And you get to network. You get to, I've made a lot of friends from all over the world now. Uh, and you chat with them and it's a lot of fun in that aspect too. It's people you would never, ever meet backgrounds right. you'd never meet. Or even if you're, again, if you're just a passive listener and you listen, there's such a, a multicultural variety of people out there and it's been incredibly just educational. Um, so, and it's entertaining as well. It really is entertaining. It's and you're like, making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can make exactly you can make a difference if you feel helpless and you want to do more and you can't necessarily go volunteer and, and giving charity is great. But here you really can. Every single time you retweet a story, you you leave a comment, it, you know, grains of sand make a heap and you mm -hmm. can be part of that. Wow. OK. Thank you, sweetheart. I really appreciate this. And to all my listeners, first of all, to Ben and to Tabitha for constantly putting out the show. To all my listeners, I hope wherever you are, you are safe. We are in the middle of what the historians are going to be writing many, many books about. And it's a really crazy place to be. But I hope that this next week is, uh, is a better one and that there's no loss of life. And maybe Hamas will just put down their weapons and say, you know, we've had a total change of heart and let's move on. Don't think that's going to happen, but um, one can always hope and one can always pray. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. You can always write to me, Eve at the Land of Israel, I think, dot, dot, dot com. If not, Eve.Harrow at gmail.com. Always happy to hear from you. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. <laughs>